Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to our final edition of Starting at the End. The, uh, the outline is out in the uh, uh, narthex there, and hopefully you've got that. We're going to be taking a look at Judgment Day and the Eternal States. Uh, as we get into this, this is the, uh, the final part. If you recall, we took a look at uh, a number of different worldviews. Uh, we looked at Islam and New Age. We looked at secular humanism and Marxism. Uh, and then we listened to Jesus last week as he talked about the end times. And today we're going to focus on eschatology. It's uh, a study of the last things. Eschatos in, in Greek is, is last. And so it's a study of the last things. And so if you take a look at the outline there, the bulleted points, we'll look at Judgment Day, uh, the eternal state, uh, damnation, exaltation. Thank you. All right. And then... Uh, uh, kind of wrap up what we saw. So thank you, Pastor. Thank you for doing that. So uh, that's where we're going as we close this out. Uh, before we get into that, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's not on the outline, but we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So if you've got your Bible or if you're using a Bible in the pew, we're going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to listen to Paul explain to the Thessalonians uh, what happens on the day Christ comes back because that's kind of where we left off last week We listened to Jesus talk about signs of the end He talked about this New Testament age or church age that we're in where there's things that happen and they're not a sign of the end He says it's gonna get worse than that So then we looked at global persecution of Christians and then disasters that are just unparalleled before Christ's second coming and when he comes back that's the last day. It's the terminal point of human existence, and then the eternal states kick in, heaven and hell. So on the, on the board, we, we've drawn that through the, the study here, this idea of, well, we live in time and space. God created the earth. Eventually, he selected Abraham to be the father of a great nation, to get the land to Canaan, but also that all nations would be blessed through him, that the Messiah would come, and, and Jesus did. But eventually it's going to come to a terminal point and Christ is going to come back. So he talked about that. And that's what we're going to pick up in 1 Thessalonians 4. And at the bottom of the page where there's that blank space, if you want, you can draw the little drawing I've made. And you can put it up on your refrigerator tonight. And show everybody what you've done. And if you want to color, you can color. All right. But I'm just going to work in blue and white. You can work in black and white or whatever you got there, pencils or pen in the, in the pew there. So just a heads up, you got your Bible in the first Thessalonians 4, if you want to write something to write with or draw with, uh, we're going to be recreating this graveyard scene, because Paul explains to the Thessalonians what's going to happen when Christ comes back. They had all sorts of questions. They were bothered. And that's why we, when you read first and second Thessalonians, he talks about that. So that's where we're going to pick up. Let's pray, and we'll take a look at starting at the end, Judgment Day and Eternal States. Lord, we thank you for this time and the chance to fellowship around your word. Lord, I thank you that you have given us the solution to our greatest problem, and that's Christ for our sin. Lord, I thank you for the forgiveness that we receive through Christ's perfect life and then atoning sacrifice. And Lord, we thank you for information about the end. We thank you that you're not trying to scare us, but to inform us and let us know that we have time now to share this message. But one day this will come to an end, and then judgment day will ensue. Lord, help us to understand this, and then to uh, be replacing the fear that we might have with confidence, knowing who you are and what you've done for us. 
and then having that joy to share with people as we have uh, opportunity. Lord, we thank you. We give you all the praise and glory and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you got your Bible there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Again, read 1 and 2 Thessalonians. The Thessalonians have uh, questions. They, they just want to know. And so Paul writes to them and explains about end time stuff. And in this section, uh, you hear uh, some of their concerns about Christ's return and judgment day and the like. So you're in 1 Thessalonians 4. We're in verses 13 to 18. Paul writes, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So it's interesting what Paul writes about. He says, I, want, I don't want you to be ignorant. I, I want you to know. And that's why God has told us, and I'm going to explain it again to you, and then notice in verse 18 at the end, he goes, now you encourage one another with this. This is good news. Notice he says, I don't want you to be like people grieving without hope. We have the hope of the resurrection. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, right? And so we're going to rise again. Our loved ones are going to rise again. And so he's trying to explain this and say, look, this is good news. So what's the sequence, right? Look at verse 13. Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or those who die. Sin, by Adam and Eve's rebellion, is now part of our existence, and death entered because of that sin. When you read Romans 5, Paul clearly explains that. Where did death come from? Well, it wasn't part of God's creation, but it's part of a fallen world, and that's why the Lord said, if you eat of that, you will die. And so death entered the world ever since then. So he goes, look, we don't want you to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We do have hope in Christ, the promised Messiah. Verse 14, we believe Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will come down from heaven. This is what we were reading last week. With a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So let's go to our graveyard scene. So in our graveyard scene, here's this graveyard, and there's two people buried here. One's a Christian. The headstone with the cross on it marks that. The headstone without the marker is, is a, an unbeliever who's buried there. This person and this person are both in the graveyard and they're going to put flowers there. That's not ice cream, okay? It's not a big ice cream cone. Those are flowers, all right? And they're going to place flowers at their, their friend's grave, all right? This person is a Christian. You can see by the large, oversized cross, okay? So I drew it large so you can see that, all right? I think that's not good fashion. It would be too heavy. cause a lot of problems, all right? But that's a different issue. So these two people are in the graveyard on the very last day on planet Earth, all right? So what's going to happen? 
Paul goes, look, we don't want you to be ignorant about this. We don't want you to grieve like you got no hope. What happened? Jesus died and rose, and he's going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. What? This guy is alive. This guy is alive. Again, we got flowers. We're going to plant it here. This person is dead. This person is dead. All right? What happens when we die? Our soul and body separate. Now again, i got to give you scriptures. i gotta, I got to take you to stuff that's not on the sheet here. So if you want to add stuff, you can. We've been working in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 to 18. So if you want to add that to the sheet, uh, you can do that. This whole concept of uh, what happens when we die. If you want to hold a finger here, let's go to Ecclesiastes 12. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 12. So again, we're going to come back to 1 Thessalonians. Mark that with your outline or with a uh, bookmark or something. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 12. Sometimes we, we wonder about what happens at death. And, and death is a separation. Body and soul are separated. Body and soul are separated. And so you're going to Ecclesiastes 12 and verses 6 and 7. So death is, is body and soul separated. God breathed into man, and man became a living soul. And so God creates man out of the dust of the ground, breathes into him, and he's got the breath of life in him. What happens when he dies? Well, your body's here, but your soul is now separated from your body. Uh, Solomon, as he writes Ecclesiastes, uh, writes in 12, verses 6 and 7, Remember him, God, before the silver cord is severed and the, or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring, or the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. What's happening in death? Body and soul are separated. Body's here. Spirit returns to be with the Lord, right? So verse 7, the dust returns to the ground, the body came, uh, goes back to the ground from which it came, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So we flip back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You've got two people who have passed away here. So this body's here, this body's here. What, where is this person's soul? He's a Christian. Right? His headstone's got a cross on it. We're going to keep this real simple. See the cloud up here? Here's heaven. The triangle stands for God. We're just going to put their soul, like a circle, here. Because I don't know how to draw a soul. So we're just going to draw their soul there with the Lord. Father, in your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus said that. Right? Stephen says the same thing in Acts, right? So the soul goes back to be with the Lord, right? The Lord gave it. What about this guy? He's not a Christian. So we're just going to put his soul over here. We're going to keep this real simple. He's not with the Lord, right? He's not with the Lord. So body's here, soul's here. What did Paul say? Well, we want you to grieve like the rest of the men. Jesus died, rose, and he's going to come back, all right? So now I'm going to draw a Cairo symbol for Jesus. And Jesus is going to come back on the last day. We saw this back in Matthew 24. And he's going to do this. If you go back to 1 Thessalonians 4. We believe Jesus died and rose. We believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep him, in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So here's the last day. 
Here's Jesus coming back. This person dies, their soul's there. He goes, he's coming back with those who have fallen asleep with him. These people are going to be resurrected first. Now I got the soul and the body being rejoined, resurrection. What's the resurrection? Body, soul being rejoined. I've got life coming off the body. That's the sound that makes. That's the sound our resurrected body's going to make. Let's try it together. One, two, three. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right. So you got, we do have a choir, and we don't need any practice. Look at that, right? So he says in verse 16, The Lord himself will come down from heaven with loud command, the voice of the archangel, trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then he says, after that, so the guy who's about to put the flowers on the grave, <laughs> resurrection's happening. We're going to see in 1 Corinthians uh, 15 here in a minute. It's in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. Verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will be with the Lord forever. Now, what about this guy? He's a Christian, he's got the oversized cross there. That guy gets resurrected. He is caught up to be with the Lord. He doesn't go through death on the last day, but his body is automatically changed. He didn't die and get resurrected. He was just taken up to be with the Lord in the air. What happens to those people who are the unbelievers? There is a resurrection of everybody. We're going to see this as we go, or in your own time, if you look up all the scriptures, we'll have time for it. This guy is going to now face Judgment Day. This guy is going to get resurrected too. And when Jesus talked about this, and I think we mentioned last week in Matthew 25, Jesus says, when I come back, I will separate believer and unbeliever, like a shepherd could separate sheep and goats. There are two distinct animals. God goes, there's just two teams. You're either with me or against me. You're either saved or unsaved. And so we believe in the resurrection of the dead, not reincarnation. You know, your soul doesn't go into a different body. The soul's rejoined with a resurrected, glorified body. And then everybody's resurrected, even, even the unbelievers, right? Uh, go to... 1 Corinthians 15 now. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter. Uh, Paul explains resurrection for the people in Corinth. And so here's another uh, reference you can put on the sheet if you want to meditate on this later. 1 Corinthians 15. For Paul's society in that, in that Roman Empire, they believed what the Greeks had taught about the immortality of the soul. The soul would live on, but there wasn't a resurrection. There wasn't a resurrection, all right? Uh, uh, did anybody see Gladiator? Remember the movie Gladiator, okay? Remember in Gladiator, he, they always show him running his fingers in a, in a wheat field. They show him running his fingers in a wheat field. So the Elysian fields, all right, this idea of you're, when you die, all right, you're going to go to the Elysian fields, all right, and so you're going to have this wonderful place, right? And so, you know, his body, you, you see him, you see his wife and kid at the end, all right? But the idea of going to a great place, yes, but resurrected, no. The soul lived on in immortality. And so here, Paul talks about uh, resurrection of a body, which for them, what? The people in Corinth, that would have been strange to them. So, 
he talks about the resurrection of Christ, and then he talks about what the resurrected body is like. Uh, go to verse uh, 35. So 1 Corinthians 15, you can read the whole chapter, but in verse 35, he talks about the resurrected body. Uh, but someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? So again, remember in that culture, they're like, no, your soul lives on in eternity, but your body doesn't get raised. What are you talking about? He goes, how foolish, verse 36. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are also earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And the stars differ from star in, in splendor. So he goes, look, think about it. When you're sowing seed, the seed is one thing, but the final product is totally different. He goes, look at the animals, look at the fish, look at the birds, look at the, look at the stars, all right? Look at the moon, it, it, they're different. So now, verse 42, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. So our bodies uh, live, die, they break down, all right? Some of us lose our hair. <laughs> he goes, no, it's, it's imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. Oh, I'm embarrassed. Oh, I wish I was bigger, stronger, faster, whatever. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. Oh, I, I need glasses. I got a bad knee, right? It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. Now, that's fascinating. Jesus, when you rose from the dead, what could you do? Well, I could appear and disappear. Didn't use the door. But there was a body there because I ate in front of the apostles. I touched them. I breathed on them. It was a body, but it was a resurrected body. Middle of uh, 44, if there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, in other words, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual didn't come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and, is, and, is, and, and as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of, of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Now watch this. Verse 50. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Notice the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We're not all going to die. But we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that's written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's a great passage. Look at verse uh, 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep. Guy in the graveyard. Not everyone's going to die. Somebody's going to be alive on the last day. But we'll all be changed, he says, in a flash, in the twinkling of eye, at the last trumpet. At the trumpet, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Right? So again, back to our drawing. Guy's going to put flowers on the grave. Last day, Jesus comes back. He brings with him those who have fallen asleep. They're resurrected. He is then taken up, caught up in the air to be with the Lord forever. Resurrected body, changed in a flash and twinkling of an eye. Is there a universal resurrection? Yes, even unbelievers are resurrected. The soul that was not with the Lord is uh, resurrected. And now the eternal states are going to be uh, filled, heaven and hell, with these people at Judgment Day. Let's go to the outline. Let's go to the outline now, top of the sheet. We looked at um, sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. Um, let's go to 2 Corinthians, because uh, we're nearby. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, the, the second cross-reference at the top of the sheet there. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. So there's only two groups. You're with the Lord or not. You're either saved or unsaved, and so the sheep or goats. And so we all appear before the Lord for judgment. 2 Corinthians 5, let's look at verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So when it comes to this judgment day, you got these groups already separated and now God judges. All right, you take a look at the outline there. The reason for the separation, why? You're either saved by faith or damned by lack of faith. So Ephesians 2, 8, 9, I hope, I hope you know it. For it's by grace you're saved, through faith. And this is not by work, so no one should boast. We're saved by grace through faith. I trusted, this guy trusted, this, this guy trusted. In Christ as Savior, not good works, right? Why you damned? Uh, I gave you John 3, 18. Let's flip there. Let's go to John 3, verse 18. Well, why are people damned then? Because they don't have the saving faith that Christ is the one who provides them uh, entrance into heaven. Maybe they're trusting their own goodness. And God's standard is not good, it's perfect. And that's what people have to understand. Well, I'm a good person. That's not the question. Are you perfect? Tell me, are you perfect? Well, no, no one's perfect. Exactly. And that's why Jesus says, I'll be perfect for you. Act of obedience. I'll keep the law. Matthew 5, 16, I didn't come to uh, negate the law, I came to fulfill it. I, I lived it perfectly. So then, passive obedience, he takes our sin, our punishment, what we justly deserve. So you're in John 3 and 18. Well, why are people damned? Whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. I've still got all my sin, but I'm a good person. Are you perfect? Well, I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good. Well, God goes, I'm not looking for pretty good. I'm looking for perfect. Because what happened? In the beginning, God creates Adam and Eve, and everything's good. Every day is good. It's good. At the end, it's very good. What happens? God and man together. But then, because of sin, oh, we're separated from God, 
We're here. God is still moving, talking to us, sending his son. But he's going to restore all things. But to be in his presence, you've got to be perfect. And God goes, I'm not taking 99% good. You, you've got to be 100%. And so when people go, well, that's not fair. You go, well, how much poison do you want in your food? I'm just going to put 1% poison in your food. All right? That's all I'm going to do. And you go, well, that's not bad. Look, <laughs> God's standard is perfection. He's providing it. Now, if we don't take it, again, we're, we're still steeped in our sin. The judgment happens. You remember the sheep and the goats. Jesus says, come in now to the eternal state of heaven because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. Oh, when, when did that happen? Whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. He says to the goats, those who are not believers, all right, depart from me to the place prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? What are you talking about? Well, when, you, when there was hungry, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. If you take a look at the outline there, the judgment, what's being judged? Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it's works. But notice the Christian, all your sin is gone. It's only now good that God has produced through you. All right? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3. Let's take a look at verses 11 through 15. God, what are you going to judge on Judgment Day? Works. But I thought we're saved by grace. You are. You're saved by grace through faith. And so you're a sheep. You're already in. But what are you judging me on? Well, not sin, because your sin's all been taken away. That's good news. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he'll receive his reward. If it's burned up, he'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. It's kind of an interesting picture. So you can't be saved unless you're standing on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So here's the person standing on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He's got one super long arm. Sorry about that. We're going to fix that right now. That's throwing me off. <laughs> okay. He goes, now what did you do with your life? I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Well, I used wood, hay, straw. I collected every Spider-Man comic book and paraphernalia piece in existence. Did you believe on me as Savior? Yes. What did you do with your life? I got a lot of Spider-Man stuff. He goes, now imagine this passes through the fire. That wood, hay, and straw gets all burned up. The rock, Jesus, the foundation is solid. You're saved, but you didn't get a reward. Now, what if you built it with gold and silver and precious stones? That could pass through the fire. It's not going to be burned up. So when you were working with Adullam or the rescue mission or when you were praying for someone, you were answering somebody's uh, questions, you were shoveling their walk, you were, you know, when you're living with the good works God wants us to do, not to get saved, but because you're saved, he goes, there's a reward. Now, he doesn't explain what the reward is, and that's not the main point. The main point is, you're saved by Jesus, and what are you judged on? Well, I don't have any sin. So it's all good. That's good news, right? But the unbeliever, 
Now let's go to Revelation 20. The unbelievers now got to answer for all their sin. Now we're going to Revelation 20, verses 12 to 13. Their judgment day of works reveals all their sin, and now they've got to answer for it. Revelation 20, verses 12 to 13. So John sees this vision. He sees judgment day. Uh, And in verse 12, uh, Revelation 20 and verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. I'm a good person. Are you perfect? No. And so books are open. The guy goes, I know you're not. Now first I'm checking the book of life. Your name's not here. And now you're going to be called to account. This is what you're guilty of. It's a hard word. And so what happens? There's two teams, saved and unsaved. You're judged on judgment day by works. The believer, all the sin is gone, so it's just good. Rewards? I don't know what they are. I'm not worried about it. But would the Apostle Paul, would it be a shock to anybody if the Apostle Paul gets a reward that's really cool? And we'd all go, yeah, he only wrote about half the New Testament. But the whole idea of jealousy and... It's kind of like when you watch a Super Bowl and there's the winning team and everybody's going to get the ring and then one guy gets the MVP and you kind of go, yeah, good for him. He deserves it. Nobody's jealous. You're like, yeah, good for you. But whatever it is, the rewards, you're saved by grace through faith. If you don't have the Lord, now the eternal states, next bloated point. New heaven and the new earth after the old ones are destroyed by fire. All right, we're in Revelation still. Jump to 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Isaiah 65, I gave you that cross-reference. Isaiah saw the same thing. New heaven and new earth. Here's 2 Peter explaining it. 2 Peter 3, let's go there. 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13. 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13, Peter explains that the old earth is burned up with fire and so there's a new heaven and a new earth why is there a new earth needed well you've got an earth that's contaminated by sin paul in romans says the earth the creation is groaning waiting to be liberated from its bondage that we subjected it to thorns and thistles infest the ground there's coronavirus there's yeah right so the lord goes i'm cleaning house and so the old earth is destroyed with fire. You're in first, uh, Second Peter 3, 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord, last, j- last day, judgment day, will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in that way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. How cool is that? 
we're going to have. Well, I had a place for us to live, and then we sinned. And so what I did is, you can't be in my presence. Right? I told Moses, nobody can see my face and live. So you're here in a sin-contaminated world. I'm still talking to you. I sent my son. But we're going to bring this back. But what i got to do is i got to destroy the old one with fire. So after judgment, and so if we put it here in the timeline, what's he going to do? The old one's destroyed by fire. Now, is it fire and brimstone on a planetary scale like Sodom and Gomorrah? Other people say, is he going to just take it and rip it apart like in fission? He split atoms and it releases all this energy. Is Peter a first century man who's got no knowledge of subatomic particles? The Lord's just saying, even the elements are melting in the heat. The whole thing is just going up in smoke. It's just being torn apart. I brought it together and I'm just ripping it apart. Either way, it's destroyed. But then there's a new heaven and a new earth. Maybe we could draw it like this. What does God go back to then? So here's one. Here's two. What does God go back to? It's God and man. Ooh, that guy's got a big head. Isn't that so good? There we go. So it's heaven and earth, right? <laughs> so put a cloud on it. It's what it was supposed to be. God and man together in the eternal state. Damnation, you can see on the outline there, many scriptures that talk about it. And so, uh, in Daniel 12, let's go there, let's go to Daniel 12. You've got passages that talk about hell in quite a, uh, quite a bit there. Because of our time constraints, we're not going to look at them all. I just want to show you a couple things. But we're going to start in Daniel chapter 12. Daniel 12 and verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. But those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That's a great passage. Shine like stars. <laughs> How do you do that? By being a light. <laughs> By sharing the light of Christ. Look at two again. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Again, there's only two teams. There's only two teams. So in damnation, here's another separation. Now it's not body and soul being separated. Body and soul are rejoined, resurrection. But now body and soul are being sent to hell. A state of damnation. Uh, not in God's presence. That's the easiest way to think about it. Under damnation, point number one, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus talks about it. Where soul and body are destroyed. Again, on your own, you can look at these passages and, and meditate on it. So when people talk about, well, this is, life on earth is hell. No, it is not. It is as close to heaven as the unbeliever will ever get. But it is not hell. Because hell is where God is not. There is no contact with God. And so this concept that, well, this is hell. No, it's not, all right? So he talks about soul and body being destroyed and then degrees. Let's go to Matthew 11. Let's take a look at this. Hey, people were judged, right? Yeah. If there were rewards for Christians, would there be punishments too? Yeah. 
Greater punishments for some? Possibly. Makes sense. You're in Luke 12. Oh, let's go to, yeah, let's go to, let's go to Luke 12. Let's go to Luke 12, uh, 47 to 48. So Jesus tells this parable about watching, and then he says, now imagine there's a guy who's got a business, and he tells the foreman X number of jobs have to be done. And the boss goes away, and the foreman is, (laughs) he doesn't give the work order to anybody. And they're all goofing around, and the boss comes back, and they all get in trouble. But that foreman gets in a lot of trouble, because he knew exactly what he was supposed to do. And he didn't do it. So they all didn't do what they were supposed to do with that foreman. He, he should have known better. He knew exactly what was supposed to do. You're in math, or Luke 12, 47 to 48. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. He goes, everybody gets punished. Some get few blows, some get a lot of blows. All right, this degrees of punishment. That's how some theologians put it. Not levels, but degrees of punishment. So, quote unquote, is an Adolf Hitler worthy of greater blows, all right, greater punishment? The answer would be yeah, all right? Worm and fire, Mark 9, 48. Let's go there. This is an interesting passage, Mark 9, 48. Why does Jesus talk about hell like fire and maggots? Ugh. Worms. Ugh. Pretty gross. So, uh, start, let's start at verse 47, Mark 9, 47. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of, of God with one eye than to have two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Huh. So outside of Jerusalem, is this valley, the valley of Hinnom. I think we talked about this before. Old Testament, Valley of Hinnom is where they did the human sacrifices, burning children, the Baal. And then, New Testament time, this is the garbage dump for Jerusalem. So they throw the trash there and burn it. And when the New Testament talks about hell, the Greek word is Gehenna, it comes from Hinnom. And it's interesting, Jesus seems to be talking about this kind of image. What's hell like? Well, it's like a garbage dump. Well, what's in a garbage dump? Filth, fire, maggots. Read Revelation. This is what heaven is, the new Jerusalem. Everybody on the outside, you're in hell. Again, there's just two locations. It's that kind of imagery there. But the scariest is 2 Thessalonians 1. Let's go there, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. The idea that you and I have access to God because His Word is here, the Holy Spirit is here, there's Christians here. Even if a person is not a believer, God is available, God's present, right? And so God is at work. And so people go, this is hell. No, it's not. 
hell is total separation from God. And I think this is the scariest passage that talks about what hell is. Here in 2 Thessalonians 1, we're starting in verse 6. So again, the people in Thessalonica had all sorts of questions. He says, God is just. He'll pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Look at verse 9 now. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. That's a hard word. Take a look at verse 9. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction. I cannot wrap my mind around that. And that's why when you draw on the eternal state, well, it's a ray. <laughs> it just goes on. I don't know how he could not be destroyed after a while, but it's a state of timelessness. And there's destruction, body and soul, but it never stops. And then, shut out from the presence of the Lord. There's no access now. I've heard some theologians say it like this, and there's no access to each other. The weeping and gnashing of teeth is only your own weeping and gnashing that you hear. You can't commiserate with anybody. Oof. But the whole concept is to understand, it doesn't have to be this way. I want you back, the Lord says, and I'm, I'm reaching out. But there's going to come a time when it's over. So today is a day of salvation. Eternal separation from the Lord. Eternal torment, that's Revelation 14, 11. Fiery lake of burning sulfur. Again, I've got a question mark against that one too. Is it this imagery, this fiery lake, is like, like a volcano? Is that it? Is God trying to go, imagine trying to survive in a volcano. Ooh, you can't, all right? Revelation is picture language, and that's why I put the question mark there. But long story short, God goes, I am not there. But I'm here. I'm sharing this message with you so you can be saved, so you can be in the eternal state of heaven, right? What's exaltation, the state of exaltation? Joining believer's soul and body, again, joined at resurrection on the last day with the Lord in heaven. We looked at Daniel, now let's go to Job 19. Let's go to Job 19. I think you know this passage because we sing it at Easter. You're going to Job 19, verses 25 to 27. So here's Job, and he's suffering on many levels. He's lost his children, his possessions, his health. And so he's suffering big time. And he has this great confession of faith in Job 19. We're in verses 25 to 27. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him. With my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Isn't that incredible? Now you know the song, right? Oh, that's it, yeah. You were waiting for me to sing it. Well, I ain't going to do it. But you know that wonderful hymn, right? 
But look at what he says, verse 26. My skin's going to be destroyed, but in my flesh I'm going to see God. I believe in the resurrection. Verse 27, I'm going to see him with my own eyes. So here's this great confession of faith, and we put it in this hymn, and we sing it, uh, and what's going to happen? Because Job knew it, now we know it. That's good news. So what is heaven like? Well, you're not married in heaven. Let's go to Matthew 22. Let's go to Matthew 22. Marriage is this wonderful gift from the Lord. He institutes it. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And then it's used as a picture to show God's love for us. Matthew 12, uh, 22 and verse 30. So Sadducees are locking horns with Jesus and they come up with the scenario, hey, if a guy dies uh, and his wife marries his brother and then he dies and then marries the next brother and then it goes on with seven brothers, who is she married to in heaven? Riddle me this, Jesus. You're so smart, okay? Verse 29. You're an heir because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Can you imagine that? <laughs> talking to religious leaders. You don't know what you're talking about, right? At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. So who are they going to be married to? Who is she going to be married to? They're neither married, verse 30, nor given in marriage. But they'll be like the angels in heaven. We don't become angels. All right, that's a different creation, all right? So, but we're not married in heaven, right? But heaven's like a wedding. Uh, Jesus tells parables like that. I gave you Matthew 25, you can look at that. He likens it to a banquet. I gave you Luke 22, you can take a look at that. Uh, and, and there's a place to belong. John 14, let's go there. Let's go to John 14. So here's Jesus talking to the apostles. Monday, Thursday, you can read 13 to 17 in, in John, John 13 to 17, wonderful section, upper room, he's talking to the disciples one last time, and so uh, he, he's, he's got these hard words, he's got to tell them, hey, it's, it's coming to an end, and, and he's going to be betrayed, and, and so they're, they're bothered, now you're in John 14, verse 1 and 2, do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me, now watch this, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. It's beautiful, beautiful imagery. Uh, back at, at, at that time, a Jewish young man gets engaged to a woman, and the marriage will be done when, when the house is done. And what the guy would do is build on as close as he could to his father's house. So she could go every day and watch that building go up. And when it was getting close to completion, she'd know it's going to be the wedding soon. And then she'd get ready. And then she'd hang out and wait. She'd wait for the bride or the groom to come. And so she just tells a parable of the, the foolish bridesmaids and the wise ones, the ones who had the oil and were, were waiting and ready. And so it, they get the, the girl and then go back and have the uh, wedding ceremony and the like. 
But in my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you, so I'm going to come get you. I'm going to come get you. It's perfect. Let's go to uh, Revelation 21. Let's go to Revelation 21. The imagery of no mourning, crying, pain, sorrow, all gone. It's, it's repeated in Revelation 7, but we're going to go to 21. God talks about it twice. And, and we need to hear that because of the pain and suffering that we go through in our lives because of sin. Revelation 21, we're in verses 1 through uh, 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. For them, the sea was this foreboding thing, and so the idea that there's nothing dangerous, nothing fearful anymore. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband and heard a loud voice from the throne saying now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God watch this he will wipe away every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away God what did you intend you and I hanging out God what happened well you blew it ruined it, but I didn't give up on you. I gave up my son so we could go back to what it was supposed to be. But there's no crime. The old order of things has passed away. It's all new. Look at the next one. 21.5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And finally, will someone sin and ruin heaven? That question comes up all the time. Will someone ruin it for us like Adam and Eve did the first time? The answer is no. Look at 21:27. Just flip ahead, end of the chapter. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You can find other passages that talk about God's kingdom as an eternal kingdom. It's forever. No one's going to ruin it. Why? Satan's not there. There is no tree of knowledge of good and evil. There's no demons. There's no unbelievers. It's, it's a perfect setting. And people have already come through that. Christ has forgiven them. And now this can be the way we want it. The other big question that always comes up is this. So our loved ones are with the Lord? Yes, right now their soul is with the Lord. Are they resurrected? No, you can go visit their grave. So their soul's with the Lord. Where's the unbeliever's soul? They're not with the Lord. Well, how does this work then? Well, there's one universal judgment day. And the easiest way to think about it is this. We are in time and space. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, four, one. It takes me four seconds to walk here. We're in time and space. You're dealing with a God who is not confined to time and space. My name is I Am. Psalm 90, verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, I am God. And so when Peter writes this in 2 Peter chapter 3, he goes, with the, day, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. God, what is time to you? It's really irrelevant, because I'm eternal. I have no beginning and no end minute is like a thousand years, thousand years is like a minute. We're confined to time and space, that's what we know. 
So I mentioned my Aunt Beverly, and we'll put her here. My Aunt Beverly dies of cancer in 1983. So she's been in heaven for 37 years, and you go, well, <laughs> from my perspective, in time and space, yeah, her soul's been with the Lord for 37 years. But for her, from her perspective, remember, she's not in time anymore. And so, what's it like? Jesus says to the thief on the cross, Today you're going to be with me in paradise. And so, the whole idea of when we're talking about our loved ones, okay, we know they're with the Lord, but are they watching us? Are they seeing us? Has Aunt Beverly been watching me for 37 years? And you kind of go, wait a minute. We're in time and space. They're not. And so the easiest way to think about it maybe is this. It's now judgment day. She leaps forward to judgment day. Her, her, she's there in the hospital, and the next thing is it's judgment day. From my perspective, time is going on. So today is judgment day. And so 37 years, right? I live 37 more years. Well, what happened? Was it like that? 37, 37 years was, was like a, a moment, and then there was judgment day. Is that it? Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Let's go to Hebrews 12. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. It's hard to talk about some of these things because we know just so much. But what has God shown us? Through Christ, there's salvation. We're here. When you start talking about timeless existence and the eternal state, that's where ah, it blows our mind. Hebrews 9, excuse me, Hebrews 9, go to Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9 and 27. Hebrews 9 and 27. Just as man is destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he'll appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Verse 27. We are destined to die once and after that face judgment. And because Christ was sacrificed once, he's coming back, not to bear sin, but to bring us to be with him, right? So that's why the way I think of it is this. Where is that temple? Right now, in my time, her soul's with the Lord. From her perspective, what is it like? It could have been like that. It's appointed once for us to die and then face judgment. Here's a different way to think about it. Have you ever lost track of time? I've lost track of time, and it's usually when I'm doing something I enjoy. Remember one time I was painting a painting, and as I was painting, I realized, man, am I hungry. And then I realized I'd forgotten to eat lunch. And I'd worked 
from the morning through lunch, and now it was mid-afternoon. I'd worked for hours, and I'd lost track of time. And for me, that helps, because, and this is our thing that comes up all the time, eternity scares me. The concept of eternity scares me, because it doesn't end. And I love that, when kids would go, I love the Lord, Mr. Ellis, but heaven freaks me out, because it's forever. Yeah, because this is all we know. <laughs> Things start and end, start and end, start and end. But it will just go. And, and that's the way I think through it. I go, okay, so this is a good thing. And sometimes you're having a good time and you lose track of time. And Lord, is, is that the best I can do in my limited understanding? You go, wow, yeah. It's not to be scared. Not something to be scared of. It's something to understand. You go, wow, it's wonderful. Thank you, Lord. Bottom of the sheet there, what had we seen? We'd seen these worldviews, we had seen these different ideas. In the end, it's all man trying to make a perfect world. And so if we would all convert to Islam, or if we'd all take the next step in evolution and understand we're God, or if we'd, we'd follow an economic principle of socialism and communism, things would be better. Or if we had one global government to run the whole planet, then it would be better. In the end, what is it? You're not addressing the problem. <laughs> that's a sinful condition. And that's what Christ has done, right? The last scripture on the sheet there you can see. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's what He did for us. And that's why when you start at the end, okay, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> He's brought us into this kingdom. And our job is to share that with people. Let's throw it open to questions. Thoughts, questions, comments. Go. Yeah, great question. So what happens if people haven't heard, right? So you said people before Christ, right? And even now. And yeah, it, you and I can only deal with what we know, right? So it's clear in Scripture there's one way to be saved, and that's through Christ. And so we can look at John 3.16 and Acts 4.12 and Isaiah 43.10 and 11. We can look at multiple passages. There's only one way to be saved, and that's through Christ. So if God so loved the world, and he wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, right? And so we can read 1 Timothy 2.4 and 2 Peter 3.9. We can look at all these passages. That's his desire. When you think about it, what happens? Well, everybody knows who God is because Adam and Eve are with him. Adam lives and there's generations of people who live after him that he can talk to. They get these different ideas, things are out of control. He shuts it down with a global flood. And then what happens? There's eight people. They all know who the true God is. And then what happens? <laughs> different ideas come and different religions come. So what happens? God has not told us how he reached out to people. And so again, we just kind of leave it in God's hands going, you're going to have to deal with that, all right? Because I don't know who those people were or how you reached them, but you know the heart of the Lord. I want all people to be saved, all right? So I think it was a couple of weeks ago we talked about this. Ravi Zacharias, Christian apologist, he, he says, there are people that talk about, just like Saul in the book of Acts, they are a devout and then fill in the blank, Muslim, Buddhist, whatever. And they have this road to Damascus experience where Jesus talks to them. They are converted and they talk to people in their village or town or whatever. Is that what he does for people that we can't reach because we don't even know they're out there in a jungle or on an island or something? 
Who knows, all right? So again, let's just leave it in the Lord's hands on that one. But let's deal with what we know. What are we supposed to do? Well, share the gospel. Why? Because there's one way to be saved. What else? Good heavens. <laughs> Good heavens. Go, go ahead. Yeah, that's a great question, and I don't know the answer to that. That's a great question. Was was because uh, cremation eventually, as it's happening and embraced, the Christian Church resisted that. And Pastor, I don't know if you know the answer to that. I've heard some some people say, "Yeah, that's what we were doing because we understand the resurrection." But the idea that there's a proper way to deal with it, whether it's burial or cremation. I mean, just speaking on it from. Uh scientific perspective, <laughs> whenever anyone dies, their body decays and withers away, like regardless of whether you are buried in the ground or whether you're in the ocean or whether, and I think that's why when we see in Revelation, when we see that depiction of John saying, well, the people that are in Hades, the people that are in the ocean, the sea spits them back out, what he's really saying there is regardless of what happened to your body upon death, God puts it back together. And we believe that's what he's going to do. You can go to Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. We believe that's what he's going to do with everybody's body. Everybody's body is going to break down, decay, and he's going to put it back together. So I think there were historically times where the church really pushed back against the idea of cremation. Um, and I think some of it was around this idea that perhaps in being cremated, you were thumbing your nose at God, so to speak, saying, oh, I'm going to do this because I don't believe you can do it. But I think as Christians now, we obviously know that God can put back together the puzzle, however it gets broken. Um, so for us today, I don't think we necessarily need to say, oh, don't get created, that's a sin. I, I think that's saying something that scripture doesn't say. So. Thank you. What else? Savior, right? And from 1 Corinthians 15, this will happen a flash in the twinkling of an eye. The idea seems to be, bam! Right? Yeah, yeah. So there's no time to, oh, wait a minute. Well, he hasn't touched down yet, so okay. <laughs> you know? uh, and and, and not, to, not to be blasphemous, but just to, again, to put it in perspective. Oh, here he comes, and I got time. Uh, um, back in Matthew 24, Jesus says, two people will be at a mill. One will be taken and the other left. Right? So it's it. And so there's no time to convert now. Well, there you go. Starting at the end. We had good news. Christ is risen. He is risen. Hallelujah. Right? 
So happy pre-Ash Wednesday, all right? God bless you. We will see you around. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this good word. I thank you for the fact that in the midst of our sin, you didn't abandon us, but that you lived among us through Christ perfectly and then paid for our sin. Lord, I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to speak that truth with people, to give them this hope, this comfort, this good news. Lord, we look forward to this Lenten season as we look at what we did to put you on the cross. I pray that we'd have a renewed sense of, of joy knowing that you're risen and alive through this study. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.